Welcome. Namaste. This is Alisa Valdez has a podcast. I'm your host, Alisa Valdez, and I do indeed have a podcast, and this is indeed it. I appreciate you being here. Um, These podcasts are offered freely, but I do appreciate your support if you're able to and you feel so inclined. Thank you. I suppose this is my first ever podcast recording for this podcast. And I'm wondering if I can say podcast like a million, a million more times just because it's so annoying. Um, I want to just basically give you an idea of why I decided to do this and then we'll go from there. So I was inspired to start this podcast by one of the least inspiring darkest times of my life, which would be the past four months leading to today. For the past four months, I have been sick with the Trump flu, and that's what I'm going to call it. Other people call it COVID-19 or coronavirus, and I don't really love calling it by its formal name anymore because I think that gives it power. And I also feel like my feelings about this virus very closely parallel my feelings for the current occupant of the White House in the United States. And I also think that it's unconscionable how out of control the virus has become in my country because of him. So... There it is. It's the Trump virus. I was inspired to create this podcast because of that. Um, Now, some of you might be surprised listening to this to hear that I've been sick for four months. I'm actually in week, uh, geez, yeah, week 16, so four months. Um, But that's because, uh, well, one, this is a new virus to humans, so they don't know a whole lot about it or how it works. And so because of that, at the beginning, we were kind of fed a lot of information that I'm not going to say wasn't true, but it was not an entire picture of what this disease can do. So we were given this binary concept where it was You either are old and sickly and you get the Trump flu and then you die within four to six weeks, usually on a ventilator. So that was one scenario. Or you're everybody else and you get what's kind of like a flu, like a really hideous flu. And then in two weeks, according to the World Health Organization and the CDC, within two weeks, you won't be contagious anymore and you'll be fine. And like many people, I believed that. And um, I also went into complete self-isolation March 13th. That was the last day I went anywhere. It was also the day that my son came home from the dorms to go into quarantine with me. And within two weeks, we had both fallen ill. Um, I suspected at the beginning, that it was probably Trump flu because I had a runny nose and 
kind of a sore throat and felt a little feverish, although I wasn't measuring a temperature. And my son felt a little feverish. We didn't have a thermometer, so I shouldn't say I wasn't measuring a temperature at that time. We just, we didn't worry too much about it. I wasn't too worried about it because we were both in pretty good health and I figured, you know, we weren't, we didn't meet the criteria of the people who were dying from it, so we shouldn't worry and we'd be okay. Um, so I waited a while and this was going to kind of ride it out and not worry too much. And then I went and got a test done. And the test was negative. It was one of those nasal swabs. So I was like, oh, cool. Whatever's wrong with me, it's probably allergies. I'm not going to worry too much about it. My son didn't worry too much about it. By then, he felt fine. He went to his dad's to quarantine there for a while. And then within a couple, like a week or two, I just started having some strange symptoms that I hadn't read anything about anywhere in the discussion of Trump flu. Um, I ended up on March 25th calling 911 to come get me to take me to the emergency room because I had the most painful full torso Charlie horse, like every muscle in my center, like my abdomen, my back all the way around was in this spasm, and I couldn't breathe, I couldn't move, I didn't know what it was. I had been working on my garden, so I thought maybe I pulled a muscle or something. It never occurred to me that this could be a manifestation of Trump flu, because nobody ever mentioned it as that. Now, I know better, and these, when they say muscle aches or muscle pains, that's not necessarily accurate, because this disease causes unbelievable charlie horse type cramps but like take your breath away painful nobody at the hospital assumed it was coronavirus i had a negative swab under my belt by then they gave me muscle relaxants and sent me home within two days i was having explosive yellow diarrhea i'm not going to apologize for describing this i know a lot of people are like oh i'm sorry i know this is gross too much information but we're talking about an illness we're talking about the human body so i think it's important to be specific and honest about what happens i am really tired of seeing people refer to the hideous things that happen to the digestive tract as gi issues gastrointestinal issues people like they're very specific about pneumonia right no one's saying breathing issues but for whatever reason we're uptight we don't want to talk about poop and whatever i don't care so i had like bright yellow diarrhea that had a strangely medicinal kind of smell to it it was just not normal at all and it happened 17 times in one day i thought i was gonna die at that point i was sure that i had this virus i was also having shortness of breath and my pulse, my resting pulse is usually about 60, 65, and it was about 96 to 100 just sitting on my couch. Um, so I went back to the ER. I'm like, listen, I can feel this. This is the virus. Maybe the test was wrong. I've, and at that point, nothing like now the CDC is saying diarrhea is part of it, but at that point in March, you know, late March, none of the doctors in the ERs in my hometown, I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, USA. Um, they didn't have a clue. So they sent me home. 
They said I was pro- it was probably food poisoning, just whatever. At that point, I completely lost my appetite for three months. I lost 25 pounds, like instantly. I had to start forcing myself to eat. I had the worst pain in my chest and upper back that I've ever felt in my life. Um, I thought it was my lungs and went back to the hospital. They did a lung scan. They said, there's nothing wrong with your lungs. It's probably just, literally, I was like having a like seizure-like tremors, which you also get with this disease. You start to shake and tremble and stuff. And I was having that in the room on the little, you know, bed thing, stretcher in the ER where you're like a cartoon character when they get cold, you know, <laughs> that kind of chattering teeth. I was doing that on the stretcher and telling the doctor, I can't swallow. My entire chest hurts. And he told me I had a little indigestion and some anxiety. And he prescribed me anxiety medication and basically rolled his eyes at me and sent me home. Um, that started... Three weeks of absolute hell. I couldn't sleep. I spent my entire night pacing my house because it was too painful to stay still. The pain in the chest was not like heartburn or gastroesophageal reflux disease, which I've had in the past. It would, if if you if GERD or reflux were the sniffles, the thing I had was the pneumonia version version of that. Something terrible was happening to my digestive tract, to my esophagus, to my vocal cords, to my stomach, to my intestines, like the whole thing. Just, I, I can't even describe the level of pain that I was in. And so, I ended up going back to the emergency room again and again, and the pain just kept getting worse. They kept telling me they didn't know what was wrong with me. The diarrhea kind of cleared up, but then my stool color changed. It became very pale, like sand color, maybe white, um, mostly like pale beige, you know, like not normal at all. And at that point, they started to pay attention. They're like, oh, well, it's probably your liver or your gallbladder. So they started running a bunch of tests. Um, and they all came back like sort of okay. They told me my liver enzymes were slightly elevated. They told me that I had a spleenule, which I'd never had before. Like I sprouted an extra spleen um, on top of my regular spleen, which is weird, but they acted like that must have been there always. And I know it wasn't there always. My kidney labs were a little off. They were like, "There's something's not right. It might be your gallbladder. But we're not doing gallbladder scans because of coronavirus. We don't want to put you at risk by sending you to the hospital. So just wait it out. And in the fall, when everything opens back up again, then you can go get your scan. Like like somehow in the fall, coronavirus under Trump is going to be better than it was in April. I mean, it's absurd. The pain got so bad, I I, I had to start really becoming a pain in the ass to doctors. I was constantly emailing, constantly calling. No one ever saw me in person except at the ER. I talked to a bunch of people on the phone. The GI doctor that they assigned me was not helpful. Yeah, he was very dismissive. I finally found a physician's assistant who would listen to me and she ordered a HIDA scan for me, H-I-D-A, which checks your gallbladder function. So I went and got a HIDA scan and they do like the first stage to see whether bile is moving through the ducts and everything. And it looked okay. 
And then they did a second part, which checks the ejection function of your gallbladder. There was one stone in my gallbladder, but it wasn't big and it wasn't blocking anything. So that shouldn't have been causing the problem that I had. When they did the ejection function part of the HIDA scan, they found that my gallbladder was functioning at 19%. Like it, it basically just wasn't working. Anything below 35%, the gallbladder's got to come out. It becomes a problem if you leave it in. So at that point, they agreed to schedule a gallbladder surgery for me. And I went home to wait it out. The pain got so terrible. And then I started having other weird problems. I started having blood in my urine. I also got a period, which is weird because I'm 51 and I am five years menopausal. I had early menopause. And suddenly I have a period out of nowhere. I'm bleeding. When I pee, I'm bleeding. My stools are the color of sand. I'm in constant pain, especially in my upper right and upper left quadrant, but especially my upper right where the gallbladder is. So I go to the ER again. They admit me finally, and they perform an emergency surgery to take my gallbladder out. All this time, they've been doing swabs. So I've had three Trump virus swabs, and they're all negative. All negative. At the very beginning, when I was short of breath, my oxygen was low for me. It was like 93. The, a, a CAT scan of my lungs did show that there was some like closure, small um, closure of the little air sacs in the bottom portions of both of my lungs. But they said that could just be because I didn't take a very deep breath. But I know I took the deepest breath I possibly could. There was something going on throughout my body, but I... I I believed them. I talked to the doctor when they admitted me for the gallbladder surgery, and he said, you know, I get it. You're really sick. We see that you're really sick, but there's no way. Get it out of your head that it's Trump flu. Nobody has Trump flu this long. You've been sick for two months now, so you're, don't even worry about it. You're fine. This isn't coronavirus. So they remove the gallbladder, and I'm super hopeful. And by the way, I haven't really had a fever this whole time, right? They tell you people with Trump flu have fevers. I didn't have one at that time. I'm hopeful that the surgery is going to cure everything. Get the surgery done. I'm in the hospital for a little while. They send me home the same day. I go home. It's, you know, post-surgical. You're kind of tired. My son comes back from his dad's to take care of me at that point. And the wounds, the incisions are not healing. It's a laparoscopic surgery. They're not healing. They're getting infected and just acting weird. The skin is acting weird. The skin is peeling off. Go back to the ER again. They give me antibiotics. I start to take those. And then the other problem that I've been having on the left side becomes excruciating. So they do an endoscopy to see what else is going on with me and they find that I have a hiatal hernia and some gastritis and some of it esophagitis could be viral but they won't say what virus right um they tell me I need a hernia repair but that I can wait on that they give me these super strong you know acid drug what reflux drugs so anyway I go home still thinking I don't have this thing. This is, I'm, I'm just having bad luck. Like suddenly all my organs are failing and I'm getting periods out of nowhere. Over the next couple of months, slowly, l- little by little after the surgery, my, my, diet, my um, 
appetite started to come back a little bit. My stools sort of normalized. But I started having other problems. Um, I started having intermittent low-grade fevers every single day in the 99s. I started having bright red eyes, which I've had for three months now. Um, Just creepy. My skin got crazy weird, like really wrinkled, very, very dry, started peeling off. I got rashes, like strange rashes all over the place. I got like these blisters in my armpits and then they went away after two days. I started having weird twitching, just stuff coming and going um, all over my body. And at that point, I saw an article that said, for some people, Trump flu lasts a really long time and it doesn't look the way it looks uh, we're told that it's supposed to look and I found some online support groups on Facebook uh, for what they call long-term or long-haul COVID sufferers and it turns out that one in 20 people who get Trump flu will still be sick after a month and that one in 10 will still be sick after three months And in these groups, I found tens of thousands of people from all over the world who were describing their disease course. And it was very similar to mine in some cases Um, and very similar to um, viral or infectious uh, vasculitis, the kind of Kawasaki disease that they were seeing in children. It seemed that many adults were also getting this multi-system inflammatory problem going on so that's that's been me and all along I've tested negative I've had five nasal swabs they all came back negative I have no idea why Uh, I had two antibody tests also came back negative I have no idea why because I don't know what else this could be in addition to me being sick you'll remember my son back in March got kind of sick for a little bit like a little felt like he had a temperature he was tired for a week or so thought he was fine come two months ago he suddenly is having tachycardia which is an elevated heart rate he's um, having an erratic pulse it doesn't stay at a steady rate he goes in to get some labs done and his potassium and sodium are low and that rings a bell for me because when I went in and got labs done early on my potassium and my sodium were low lo and behold Lots and lots of people with Trump flu, probably all of them, end up with that exact lab. They also end up, my son had slightly elevated liver enzymes, just like I did out of the blue. My son had a low red count, as did I. All of these labs that are consistent with coronavirus, we had. So, and I'm I'm sharing symptoms with people from all over the world. Why am I telling you all of this? I'm telling you all this because at every turn, I went to the medical establishment asking for help, and I was using my research skills. I am a trained journalist. I was a newspaper reporter for about eight eight years, um, and I do a lot of research for my fiction writing. I'm a novelist now. But I did a lot of research, and then there's great science actually being done around this virus in China, like super solid science. They're they're doing all the right stuff, and they're establishing protocols and 
they have lists of symptoms that are much more comprehensive than anything we're using in the United States. But they, I remember going to one ER visit when I was having diarrhea and I brought a study out of China that sh- talked about how one third of all coronavirus patients were showing up without respiratory symptoms at all. They were showing up with gastrointestinal problems. And, and I'm like, look, I'm normal. And the doctor, this is such an American thing. It's, it makes me sick. The doctor took one look at it and he scoffed and he said, this is America. We don't use Chinese science here. When I see it coming from an American medical journal that I trust, then we'll talk. So that's what, what I've been up against. And it left me filled with despair. I mean, I can't even tell you how dark life gets when you're this sick. And I now understand what was going on, basically, and what, to some extent, continues to go on. And I'll talk about that in other podcasts. But I just wanted to give you some background as to why I decided to do this podcast. At some point, probably within the last two weeks, I finally realized I will never get the help or validation from the medical establishment that I that I need. I just won't. And I can do two things with that. I can either accept that and try to do something on my own from there, radical acceptance of a reality that I cannot change, or I can be angry about it and keep beating my head against a wall and try to get people who are refuse to learn and refuse to listen to help me at a time when I need help urgently. So um, last Sunday, I ended up in the ER again with uh, what I feared were blood clots. And I just felt my blood thickening. I have a clotting disorder. I've had clots in my lungs and my legs before and also many coronavirus patients, these long haul people, like by month four or so, four or five, a lot of us are showing up with blood clots, strokes, heart attacks. Um, And sure enough, they tested what's called a D-dimer, a blood test for me. And my D-dimer was elevated. It was 809, anything above 500, you've got a clot somewhere in your body. They run scans, they can't find clots. I'm trying to explain to them, well, that's because coronavirus causes millions of microclots in the small vessels in your capillaries, right? That's what's going on because this is actually a vascular disease. It's not a respiratory disease. It, it has a respiratory manifestation, but that's not the end all of it. It's, it's in your blood vessels. Nobody's listening to me. They all think I'm crazy at this point. They do not put me on blood thinners and they send me home. Mind you, my blood was so thick I've never seen my blood look like this. In the ER, at the moment they took the blood out of my arm and they had to use a syringe to get it out. You know, normally it's just a glass tube and the blood pours right in. My blood wasn't coming out. So they had to use a syringe to pull it out. As they're pulling it out, it looks like maroon colored, like chocolate pudding. It's that thick. It's like blood pudding. And it's coagulating instantly inside the syringe. So they can't use it. And they're all kind of standing there. And I am petrified at that point because I have only read about that kind of blood being seen in coronavirus patients. And I'm like, you guys have to admit this is COVID blood. 
Just tell me right now. And nobody would say anything. And I'm like, you need to put me on blood thinners or I'm going to die. They didn't. They refused. Because blood thinners are risky. So they send me home. That's the point at which I was like, holy shit, man. I'm going to have to save my own life. Or I'm, I'm going to die. Like, those are my choices. So at that point, I started becoming a curandera. Like, I, had, I was going to be, like, all about the herbs, all about natural remedies or things that, drugs that I can buy over the counter and do what I can. And so I started my own heavy-duty anticoagulation approach using regular aspirin, turmeric tea, lemon, hot water, um, and some, some other things, garlic, but mostly just like lots and lots of aspirin. It's going to fuck up my stomach, but I don't care. It's like I can get over an ulcer at some point, I can get, but I'm not going to get over dying from a blood clot. So <clears throat> as soon as I started doing the aspirin, like high-dose aspirin, a lot of the other problems that I continued to have went away. So I'm like, what's up with this? And I start looking into it. And aspirin is, it's an NSAID, so it's an anti-inflammatory. It's also antiviral. But it's, more than that, it's immunosuppressive, which means aspirin kind of tamps down on your immune system. And that got me researching, like, we weren't sure if the people with long-haul COVID still had the virus or if we were having some kind of autoimmune response. After starting this new regimen and looking, seeing like how almost overnight I got better on high doses of aspirin, uh, I became convinced and, and I found the science out of China and elsewhere to kind of confirm this, that we are dealing with a post-viral autoimmune issue. The immune system was so good at getting rid of the virus but it isn't turning itself off and it's continuing to attack our own cells and bodies and it's kind of like a chronic fatigue syndrome type situation so um i've been treating myself and my son for those things for the three things like fixing the endothelial cells which is the insides of the blood vessels because that's what's the most screwed up and if we can protect those and start to help them repair, and they, by the way, they take three to six months to repair. So it's a long healing process. Keeping the blood anticoagulated as much as possible. I think I'm still clotting. I'm getting an MRI because I think I've had some small strokes. Um, and then uh, taking antihistamines to kind of, there are three kinds of antihistamines you can get over the counter. And you take them in larger than usual doses, and they kind of turn off that inflammatory response to some extent. We're having, I, I've been having very good luck with that. So I'm, go, I'm going from like 10 days ago, thinking I'm going to die from COVID blood and clots and being suicidal because no one will help me, to right now recording my first podcast after hiking one mile very slowly. You can't overdo it when you're in this stage, but my blood is coming out normally. Um, I've had to give blood a couple times since then for some labs. It's flowing like normal. The color is back to normal. Um, my skin looks normal. Uh, I'm doing some things that I'm going to talk about in this podcast that are helping me. With the full disclaimer that I'm not a doctor, I can't prescribe anything for you. I can't 
be responsible for what you're going to do with your own life. Um, but I'm just going to tell you what's working for me. So yeah, um, in these groups, I've been sharing some of the research and approaches that I've been doing and people are having success with it. And they're starting to reach out to me. So I'm hearing from like five people, 10 people a day around the world asking me what tests they should ask for from their doctors or what medications can they be on. And so I thought I would start a podcast that could, after this initial one, address some of those things very specifically so that I'm not repeating myself all the time and I can just share a link with people when they ask or they can share it with each other. Um to kind of share some of the information I've got. I I never intended or wanted to have to basically write a how to not die of Trump flu virus when no doctor will help you manual, but that's kind of what I've had to do. And um, I hope that it brings some assistance and relief to people. Uh, You're not powerless and There's lots that you can do on your own to figure out what's wrong with you and to help yourself. And it's really urgent that we do that. Doctors are waiting until the science and the tests and the reassurances are all there that they're not going to get sued if they help us in one way or another. Or if they, you know, believe the obvious that someone with all the symptoms and labs of somebody with Trump flu has Trump flu, even though the shitty faulty tests are not showing it. But we don't have that time. If we already have it, we don't have that time. So we have to do it ourselves. Uh, That's it for my first podcast. Uh, Let me know what you think. If you find my work helpful, I would appreciate any donation, small or large. I am a single mother. I've been unable to work for four months. I lost my job when I got sick at the beginning of this. I was supposed to be teaching school online at that point, but I was too sick and they replaced me. Uh, I am a writer, but I haven't been able to sell a new book in a while and I don't have any income at all. I'm, I'm basically living off my parents, which is embarrassing at my age. And um, dr- trying to keep my son and I healthy and afloat, it's, it's, it's been tough. So that's my story. I hope to hear from you. Bye.